0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartotti.
0: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah
2: and you're listening to the tennis podcast.
3: Well new location for this edition of the Tennis Podcast because Catherine is our guest today in our brand new living room because Matt and I have moved rooms and we have a bit of a lounge. A bit
1: of a lounge?
3: (laughs) It's nice here isn't it?
1: Palatial. Yeah. I thought Manhattan was supposed to be cramped and sort of every square meter of space was you know worth its weight in gold.
3: (laughs) Oh okay well (laughs) we seem to have got lucky Matt so that's good.
1: Yeah it's lovely.
3: Yeah. Yeah and we haven't moved rooms because
2: there was a problem with the other one no we we were all set to move rooms anyway and sort of we've been upgraded
3: yeah which is great so more upgrades please um so yes we have lots and lots of tennis to talk about before we get on to the U.S. Open tennis of today and obviously there's been some big stories as well let me just remind you about our partnership with AO Travel now Catherine imagine going to melbourne in australia in january
1: don't need to imagine i can remember (laughs) it was
3: great great. visiting the australian open to watch the best tennis in the world and having somewhere that can sort out your flights your accommodation your tickets your premium experiences such as wine do my ironing (laughs) can they do your ironing can they do my ironing i think that's where they draw the line (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am willing to pay for it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll look into it. Uh, they can <laughs> do an
1: absolute nightmare trying to find anywhere to get laundry done. Yeah. So yeah. if if, I'll, if I'll... they're up for, <laughs> if they're up for that, I'll, I'll check. We'll pay a premium.
3: Okay. Well, there is a premium experience. It doesn't mention ironing. It just mentions wine tasting, behind the scenes tours, and Rod Laver Arena walk-on experiences. But I'll ask about ironing. None of
1: that's clean pants, though, is it? <laughs> no, sounds, sounds cool, but yeah. you want to have clean underwear while it's happening.
3: Well, obviously, clean underwear is pending currently. However, uh, that the other things that I mentioned, that's what AO Travel uh, offers. They're our US Open partners this fortnight. And, uh, yeah, check them out at com. And don't forget, one lucky friend of the Tennis Podcast is going to be having all of that times two... As part of our competition. So you can win that as a prize, which is amazing. So if you want to do that, become a friend of the tennis podcast. The link is in the show notes. Right. Today, I think we're going to have to start with Francis Tiafo against Rafael Nadal, aren't we? Because that's the story of the day. It's seen, I suppose, in a way, the arrival of Francis Tiafo at a completely new level. He's reached a quarterfinal of a grand slam before. But he hasn't reached it like this. He hasn't, you know, beating one of the big three is a big deal. And yet I, I sort of feel that we need to start with Nadal because Nadal's out. And he's been out before the quarterfinals, Catherine. That is, that is a big deal. And it, even though he wasn't in form, I feel shocked. How, how How? do you feel?
1: Yeah, well, it's his first Grand Slam loss of the season.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: And I just would like it to be known for the Nadal fans atting me on Twitter that I was in the stadium. Shocking development that I wasn't powering Nadal to all these Grand Slam wins after all. (laughs) Uh, I was there and he lost. So, yeah, first time anyone's seen him lose.
1: Bango's the theory. Yeah, I mean, it's a a huge deal. Because, yes, what we've seen with our eyes, this tournament from Nadal tallies what we saw today and tallies with him... Not winning the tournament and potentially going out early, but how many times is what you've seen with your eyes? Is he defied what you're seemingly seeing with your eyes? You know, zombie foot, crutches,
3: <laughs> um, winning winning that match against Taylor Fritz when his entire player box were telling him to quit. All, and then... of,
1: all of it, winning, beating Carlos Alcaraz in Indian Wells with a broken rib what you know, is that it, it, yeah, he's been you know one reflection now that we can look at it as a whole. He's been pretty rubbish this tournament by his own really high standards um and of course, now, with the benefit of hindsight it it looked like it was coming all along, didn't it, and yet you also feel like had he just managed to find a way against tiafo, he still would have been a threat. In the tournament, and that is the weird, superhuman yeah.
3: wonder that is Rafael Nadal. You're waiting for him to play the tennis that he says he's playing in practice. That's what I've been waiting for, and I think we saw a bit of that against Gasquet. But it's it's Gasquet. You know, it's not the same. It's not a threat really anymore. It's a practice session, really. Well, kind of, yeah. And um, I know that I know that sounds brutal, but I mean, look, he, the guy has not won a set in how many years i mean it's just
1: i mean it's officially the most one-sided head-to-head in tennis i don't think it is too harsh to no
3: it's just the the way way it is isn't it but i mean you you look at today little flickers i thought where i thought he's going to turn it on here and frankly tiafo shut the door on him um you were in the stadium, Matt. What was the feeling for you watching him? I mean, it, it can be different in the stadium, can't it?
2: Yes, it can, but I think I would agree with all of that. And Nadal himself was waiting for the practice level to arrive in the tournament. He said, I've been practicing well, and the competition came along and my level went down. And he was at a bit of a loss, really, to explain that. He did you know, just talk about the struggles he's had over the last couple of months. He just hasn't played many matches uh, there have been some reports in the Spanish press that we know that his wife is pregnant and there were some reports that a few weeks ago that she was having... I don't think complications is the right word, but that she wasn't all that well necessarily. She, I think she'd had to go, go into hospital. Nadal did confirm that she was fine now, but I just maybe that was just on his mind a little bit as well. Um, and yeah, he summed it up saying, I played a bad match and he played a good match. He was giving credit to Tiafo, but he said that I wasn't able to make him doubt you know and if I were playing my best tennis he wouldn't have been able to play his game quite so quite so well and I thought that was probably fair analysis really um, yeah but as you said Nadal has made us believe in pretty much the impossible this year and I just there was just no way I was going to count him out or bet against him at this tournament because of what he's done this season and yet as you say in hindsight. He hasn't been playing that well. Tiafo was an extremely dangerous opponent and he gets taken out.
3: But at the same time, Catherine, Tiafo, a dangerous opponent, but I feel like this tournament we've seen a slightly different Tiafo. Um, you, you've kind of been around for all of his career really if I think back to the queens where you where you were you covered him and and did interviews with him and you know you've covered him on prime video and we've obviously talked about him on the podcast and we've seen i remember you discovering really discovering and getting in interested in his backstory because it's such a fascinating one how he came into the sport and how you know it 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 never ceases to to interest anybody, you tell about his story, and he was telling it about, about it on ESPN again tonight. About how his dad was um, a, a, a janitor in in the um, the tennis club in in the hometown, and he just got to pick up any racket he could and and, and figure out his own technique really as he went along. But I mean, I never expected this level from him throughout his development. You know, when I would watch him in the early years as a teenager, and then 21, 22, I think he's 24 now. I always thought he's, he's a fun time, he's a really fun time to watch. He's a great guy, he's a good player, but his limit is about 25 in the world. And I don't ever expect him to beat a top player and just change the course of a, of a Grand Slam draw. And that's what he's done today. Personally, that's how I thought of him. I thought he's limited, honestly. And he's, he's better than limited. And he's made his way through this draw. He's beaten Schwartzmann, He's beaten everybody else in straight sets. He's come out before this match and he said, I'm going to take it to Nadal. I am going to take, I'm going to bring it. And he was good to his word.
1: Yeah, I, I had the same assessment of him other than the never thought he'd take out a big player and change the course of a, a draw. I think I would have agreed with... Um, sort of the rankings assessment there, and you know, never quite being a, a, a factor really at Grand Slams. But I think I I would have put him in the category of somebody that could have a truly inspired performance and a and an inspired day and do something a bit special, and that's what he's done today. The jury's out for me on whether he backs it up. I think this is so emotionally overwhelming for him and I'm I'm torn about that because I love how much he's embracing it and to borrow very you know 2022 um, tennis player language you know he's really in the moment isn't he he's very present with his feelings in it all he's he understands what it means he's talking about it being something that he can tell his grandchildren about it's lovely it's absolutely lovely his smile lights up a room but I do worry about that from a backing-up-the-win point of view. Um, I wonder if, having Wayne Ferreira in his team, he's obviously been integral up to this point, I think he could be even more integral over the course of the next 48 hours Agreed. to help him um, try and resettle and, and refocus. Because this is new territory for him. Yes, he's been in a Grand Slam quarterfinal before, but this does feel like different gravy to me.
3: Matt, can you, you give me a sense of the crowd? for this because i was commentating on it and my sense was that it started off and i was a little surprised by it it felt like it was pro nadal in an in an american city watching an american player and then by the end tiafa would just won them won them over or won a lot of people over that might not have known too much about him and because he he makes you just hang on everything he's doing. We've just seen a couple of highlights there. Nadal, there's one moment I commentated on where I just said, Nadal's really gone after a big four-hand. Oh, my God. Hey, he's just hit a 4 winner off it. It was incredible. And then he hit a shot where he hit a backhand winner down the line and then sprinted <laughs> quite theatrically back to his seat, having broken. And he just sort of patted a, a little ball boy on the head on the way. It was just just so great and it made everybody in the stadium feel so good um and not the Nadal fans i know there'll be some disappointed people in that regard but you can't you can't not love the guy what was what was the feeling in the stadium like i think you've nailed it i think
2: that it was pretty even to begin with probably a little bit more in Nadal's advantage and then by the end Okay, the Nadal fans obviously still wanted Nadal to win, but anyone who was neutral I think had been totally won over by Tiafo. I mean, how could you not be, as you said? I just love it when when good guys get a moment like that and you know, he's he's very real, Francis Tiafo. He he just comes across so well and my thing with him is that I was just never sure he would be able to package what he's got into winning tennis you know and I, I even just think the, the way he keeps his bench his player bench at the side of the court it's like it's a total mess <laughs> like there's 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 towels everywhere there's rackets everywhere and I've and I've heard him speak before about how he's a he's a chaotic traveler you know he forgets his passport and turns up at airports and misses flights and and I I love the guy but I've always just thought he kind of, his tennis is a little bit like that. You know, it's occasionally brilliant, but it's not maybe orderly enough to win big matches. And today, it was all in order. He, he didn't let up really for a moment. Um, I thought his backhand was incredible. You know, Nadal, lefty forehand into the backhand. You've got to have a good backhand to beat Nadal. And he, he played it brilliantly today. He served big. He's so athletic. He can stay in rallies that you just, you know, other players can't against Nadal, and yeah, just basically, I think he he met the moment today, and I feel like he he he's a guy who I've been kind of expecting to do that occasionally. I remember remember watching him beat Sitsa Pass at Wimbledon, and that felt like a big occasion. He has done it a little bit, but this was another level up, as we said, Nadal having not lost a Slam match all year. This was, this was a hell of a win for him, and I'm really pleased for him because, as I said, I think everyone on the tour likes Francis Tiafoe. Mm-hmm. And also it does feel, you know, again, we're thinking big picture of this tournament, it feels special that he's doing it at this one. He's talked a lot about Serena and Venus inspiring him. He was wearing a, a Serena Williams hoodie, Backstage today with all with a list of all her grand sam titles.
1: Which I loved. Want that hoodie, don't get me wrong. But it was four hundred degrees on the Arthur Ash Stadium <laughs> today. Um exaggeration, yes, a little, but not by much, folks. Uh it was close to a hundred percent humidity today. It was filthy, absolutely filthy, and he walked out in a hoodie and it <laughs> honestly made my stomach turn when i saw that it was too much you Catherine's know, you not had a good humidity I've experience not today had good, <laughs> Not had a good weather day i could not believe my eyes when i saw him walking out like that and i thought wow that's a real statement to nadal that these conditions do not bother me
3: one bit no he he when he was closing in on victory. He's very cool, isn't he? I mean, he brings you in. He looks cool. He's the way he sort of, his mannerisms and everything. And then the moment he won, he just burst into tears. <laughs> just, I almost burst into tears with him because he just suddenly this realization of what he's achieved. Because that's what, I mean, it's Mount Nadal. I mean, the guy is, is so difficult to topple even when he's not playing well like this. Um, but that did does make me think a little about what you've just said about whether if you've scaled that mountain can you find yourself carrying on going up um, for the next round
2: I agree it's 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 one thing doing it it's another thing backing it up I guess what I would say is okay it's it's the, he's gonna have to sort of recover from this emotional high but there isn't Novak Djokovic waiting in the next round or there isn't Roger Federer waiting in the next round. You know, the, the, he has opened up the draw here and it's going to be a lot of pressure on kind of everyone left in this draw. It's a massive opportunity for everyone. So it feels a little bit different backing it up against Rublev. I know, I know it's, it's, it's an opportunity, but it's also one for Rublev. It's not like he has to do this again against Djokovic. We're not in a pack-hunter situation here Um just on, just on him playing it uh, cool. I, 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 that was a great line from his press conference in that he, uh, he, was, he was tweeted by LeBron James. And uh, he, he said he immediately saw the tweet and said, I'm going to play it cool and not immediately retweet it. <laughs> 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 and I, I just thought
3: that was excellent. Yeah, that is very funny. Um, you you mention it, without Nadal, there's no Djokovic, this thing is so wide open for somebody now. The only champion as we record right now um, is is Marin Cilic left in the draw and, uh, and he's, he's just started against uh, Carlos Alcaraz. But who does this favour the most? I mean, do you see somebody obviously now benefiting from this situation?
1: Carlos Alcaraz. I'm reluctant to say that because <laughs> he's the only... <laughs> Um, that's the only match that hasn't finished. We, we
3: don't mind going big. By the big. time
1: you're listening he might be out. We're
3: in too soon to out, be out of date um, tennis news. I'd have thought Berrettini, I think, given what's the stat about... What's your stat from last night's newsletter about Berrettini Matt?
2: The last time he lost at a slam to someone other than Nadal or Djokovic was the was the Covid 2020 French Open and it's 25 wins in a row against other opponents since then. However, the little catch is that none of those wins have been against top 10 players. So it's not like he's been beating all of the top 10 apart from Nadal and Djokovic. He just hasn't really been playing them and then he's been running into Nadal and, and Djokovic. So, But yeah, I, I guess I would look at the guys on Nadal's side of the draw. I mean, Andre Rublev. Most obviously, I suppose, in that he hasn't got to play Nadal in the ne- in the very next round.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's um, pretty um, pretty important, isn't it? Really, from a Rublev perspective, and and uh, and we'll get on to Rublev in just just a second. Um, but just, just on a, as a final note on Nadal, how how big a historical blow is this? Because this is the Slam he was playing without Djokovic around.
1: Until the next slimy place, well, <laughs> Djokovic yeah. isn't allowed to play, which could be the very next slam. Um, yeah, it is. Pretty I mean, big blow, you know, what, see everything we said earlier in the year when the gap moved to, to two grand slams in the race. You know, that clear water feels significant. Nadal would tell you not at all because he's he's not bothered. There's only one race he's bo- bothered about and it ain't the Grand Slam race. It's L race. Um, but yeah, of course, being in the lead by two is better than being in the lead by one.
3: <laughs> right, Rublev. He beat uh, Cameron Norrie straight sets today. That was a big surprise to me. 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. I commentated on the match. I thought Rublev was really good. thought his... Hitting was dynamic, incredibly crisp and clean. The ball was just coming beautifully off his strings. He moved well. He he largely didn't get upset. Um, But that was a terrible, terrible performance from Cameron Norrie by his standards. Um, Is that an exaggeration? I thought that was a really disappointing performance.
1: I don't think it is an exaggeration. I mean, when did you last see Cameron Norrie smash a racket? um and he really smashed one today early on in the the third set and I I don't think he would have done that if the scoreline at that stage which was you know two sets to love down was purely about Andre Rublev playing well which he really did but uh, Cameron Norrie got it all wrong today you had some good analysis about the ways in which he he got it wrong um seems to me like He stopped trusting himself, perhaps overthought it.
3: I think he was too tactically coming in with a plan to try to target the Rublev backhand almost at all costs, which meant putting his own backhand down the line, which doesn't give you as much room for what is a very, very flat hit to bring Mm. it down inside the baseline. Usually he goes cross-court, he's got all that diagonal space. And... He was trying this tactic and he was going long time after time.
1: Well, you did say on the previous podcast where we discussed Rublev a couple of days ago when we'd been watching in live, Matt, that we were talking about the Rublev forehand and I enjoyed seeing it in, in person and my brother enjoyed the validation of me seeing it in person and saying, oh, I get what you've been banging on about all this time. And you said, yes, other players talk about his forehand. I wonder if maybe he was just... Showed it too much respect yeah. today.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's possible. And the thing that surprised me about that is Rublev's forehand is great, but it's particularly great when he hits it from his backhand corner. Yes, It's actually less good when he's hitting it from his forehand side. And actually, I do think if Norrie had just trusted his own backhand into the Rublev forehand, he would have had probably more joy than he had doing what he was doing. He made a lot of backhand errors... Um, it was quite interesting, the the press conference, because Rublev said he thought Norrie was tight, whereas Norrie actually said that he was too loose and yes. too relaxed. wasn't that
3: interesting?
2: Basically, Norrie said, I like being tight because it gives me a sort of energy and I, I run down every ball because I feel like I'm a bit of an underdog, really, I suppose. But he didn't just have that feeling on court and he was almost too relaxed and maybe not as... Engaged. I mean, I don't mean that he wasn't trying. He just he wasn't fully there. He wasn't fully present. Maybe yes. and in a way that he is when he's tight. Um But I think the thing about Norrie is everything's been good really for two years, hasn't it? There's not. There's genuinely not been a bad word to say about him or a criticism to have. He's ticked off, winning titles and going further in slams, getting his ranking up. Everything. I think. The fact that he's made that jump means that we do need to say that this is a bad performance otherwise we're not treating him as the player that he is now you know and yes he can still lose to Andre Rublev but it was just the manner of the performance was so disappointing by, by the new standards that he's set
1: hmm. Alcaraz just hit a front on Twina again
2: <laughs> Was it successful? And has gone down a break
1: it Resulted in a Immediate break of serve for Cilic.
2: Okay, all right. <laughs> Maybe Marin Cilic is going to benefit from Rafa Nadal going out.
3: Yeah, the return of Marin. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so uh, we'll keep across that. There's also uh, Yannick Sinner who's about to go two sets to one up against Siviera Vashka as we come to you. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life, and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homeshef.com tennis. That's homechef.com tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
2: The Nori-Rublev match... Was also interrupted by some farcical roof scenes. Do explain. Well, it started raining.
1: Which seems like a good time to put on the roof. I don't know know what you guys think, but I thought, oh, great, we've got a roof.
3: Especially when you spent hundreds of millions on it. Off we
1: go with the roof. Yeah. And
2: for some reason, they didn't put the roof on. I think, I guess they thought it was not going to come to much. And then suddenly, it was a downpour and the court was soaked. It was actually worse on Ash. The the delay on Ash was about 45 minutes, I think.
1: It was exactly 40 minutes between points and it was 20 minutes on, on Armstrong. But given the fact that they covered the roof while Emma Adekano and Lise Corne were playing the other night without any interruption at all, 20 slash 40 minutes is... It's not what they're targeting. Something's gone wrong They it to take that
3: long. They learnt their lesson because they started to move it across during the Tiafoe match.
1: Sneaking it over. Yes. Will they notice?
3: <laughs> and, and honestly, I don't think that's great either. Because Han- Hannah pointed out, I would fume if I was serving uh, while they were reorganising my house.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, he's throwing the ball up and the roof is moving it must be it must be distracting he got broken in that game i just think why don't they just keep the players on the side of the court and quickly close the roof because it is pretty quick uh, and then just get on with play uh, it, yeah weird weird day for anyone who was pressing the button on the roof
3: <laughs> the roof presser oh dear tomorrow maybe tomorrow will be better um, yeah, it's going to rain all day tomorrow. Oh, is it? Okay, fine. You'll get a chance to redeem yourself then. Uh, Jessica Pagula beat Petra Kvitova in straight sets on Ash today. That was the first match on there of the day. I I probably would have thought that would be a lot closer. I probably would have still gone with Pagula, but she, she delivered today with a glare of expectation. You know, American crowd in there. She's the American number one, and she just got the job done.
1: As she does. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard not to damn Pagula with, with faint sort of Norrie-esque praise, isn't it? Of just sort of living up to her seeding and consistence. But she's all of those things. And it's a very inconsistent time for not just women's tennis, but a lot of tennis. And she's this, you know, steady ship, isn't she? Sailing calm seas. Consistently coming up against Iga Swiatek in Grand Slam quarterfinals, it's it's nice when some things don't change.
3: But is this a different Igor Swiatek at the moment to the one that has been causing people like Pagula all these issues in the past?
2: This is by far Pagula's best shot at beating the world number one in a Grand Slam quarterfinal, which she's going to have to try and do for the third time this year. It was Barty in Australia. And it was peak Iga Svjantek at Roland Garros. Uh, But yeah, here Svjantek isn't isn't playing as well. I'm sure we'll come on to her shortly. But Pagula's playing really well. And just to flesh out that thought about her constantly reaching her seeding, Ben Rothenberg tweeted, nine out of the 11 big events this year, Masters 1000s and Grand Slams, she has reached her seeding was only Indian Wells and Wimbledon where she didn't and that that is remarkable consistency and what I like about her is that she makes tennis look really quite easy, but not in a way that that phrase is usually applied, like normally that phrase is for people who just have great hands or you know can just do a little trick shot and easy but for her it 's just the rhythmical, consistent strike on the ball and I, I find it quite. Relaxing to watch, actually, because you just you know what you're going to get. We've just been watching Arena Sabalenka, not a relaxing watch, <laughs> but Pagula steady and very effective. You know her returns really sort of handcuff handcuff the opponent. She only hit seven winners today, but she let Kvitova hit a lot of unforced errors as well. And yeah, she's she's playing really really well. And there was there was quite a funny line in the on court interview where obviously Jessica Pagula buffalo bills fan daughter of the owners she's hoping to get through to the semi-finals here the bills play on thursday night season opener of the nfl and the interviewer said well hopefully you're not playing at the same time as the bills on thursday and i was thinking hopefully she is because that means she's in the semi-finals (laughs) you basically just said hopefully you lose in the quarters
3: Ah, <laughs> oh, very funny. Um so she did, did,
1: sorry, does New York have its own own NFL team or is Buffalo If you're an NFL fan from New York, would you support Buffalo?
3: They have two. Do you
1: support the Bills? They
3: have two other teams. They have New York Jets and New York Giants.
1: Are they both rubbish? Cuz
2: Kind of,
3: yeah.
1: I only really know the Bills. Yeah. Be- I, because that's the one and only NFL game I've, <laughs> I've ever watched. But
2: <laughs> and aren't they both technically in New Jersey?
3: Uh, I, that's where my knowledge ends.
2: Mm. I think the Buffalo Bills are the only team in New York State, really. Right. Even though they are, it is the New York Jets and New York Giants as well. I think they're based in New Jersey.
3: I see. We're learning stuff. This is good. Iga um, Świątek did win today, but boy, did she struggle against Eula Niemeyer, Niemeyer of. Germany, who got to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon and is a very, very effective player. Languid sort of style, but big hits and nice touch. And Svjantek looked anxious in the match. I I watched quite a lot of it, and there was a big difference in the body language. Yet, she turned it around. Now, is the conclusion... That, that it's a worry that she's in such form that she would lose the first 6-2? Or is it massively encouraging that she ends up running away with a third set when she was really in trouble?
2: My instinct is to think the latter. Like, we talk all the time, don't we, about, you know, the key to being a great tennis player is winning when you're not at your best. I just look at the pattern of Igor Fiontek's year a bit, and I don't feel like she's had many tournaments where she's started off not playing that well and by the end she's playing her best. You know, that run in the spring, the streak, was characterised by the fact that she was just thrashing everyone all the time. I think maybe Indian Wells was an example where she did struggle a bit early and get better, but generally I think her form in tournaments has stayed quite consistent. It's either been really good or not that good and she's ended up losing. So... That's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm not sure. I do think she's just not playing that well and she is quite vulnerable. Um, I must say, Neymar did a lot of good things, especially in that first set. I don't think she played that well in the second and third sets either. I mean, Hannah was was following it extremely closely and said that we should never speak of this match again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Neymar was in double figures for Bit double like faults. Nadal and Fanini. Yeah, I, I don't think it was... It was brilliant quality from either of them, but yeah, on the score line, it looks like you know text, What is it, nineteenth six-love set of the year? But
3: we're not in bakery territory, generally, are we? We're not. We're not having fun and games about Iga's bakery at the moment. It's all a bit serious.
1: No, Tim Henman said on our coverage today that he'd never seen a a world number, a dominant world number one, with so much insecurity, and. I think he meant on her shots, but I sort of philosophised on his behalf, and and I think that works in two ways. I think, you know, I still think she has some lingering insecurity and imposter syndrome about being the world number one, and it reflects in sort of insecurity in her game. The confidence doesn't feel baked in, sort of to quote ourselves. <laughs> um in the way that it did during the streak and obviously your confidence is never going to be as high as when you've won 37 matches in a row but she feels there for the taking if someone can play well enough I don't think she's going to beat herself I think she'll take more beating than before the Nehemiah match I think this will help her overall winning a tight match like that coming back from looking frankly down and out I mean, some of the forehand errors she was making were ghastly, really alarming stuff for a set and a half so I think this will make her tougher to beat but I, I think she's there to be taken out if somebody can can muster it
3: A couple of suggestions I'd like to offer Tim are the world number ones of the late 90s Yevgeny Kafelnikov and Carlos Moya uh, Kafelnikov who I think lost his next six matches after becoming world number one and that's not trying to um, diss Yevgeny he got to world number one fantastic achievement but uh, but i think it you know there are there are, there are quite a lot of pre-big three and big four world number ones who didn't who weren't there very long um and you know who who were not necessarily that comfortable in the role as well so I'll, I'll put them to him <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, it's it's um, it's a it's a good match to look forward to, I think, because it's an opportunity for Pagula in a way that it didn't feel like one in the past. And yet, I mean, I've, I've still chosen Shriyan to win the title, even though I'm not completely convinced about it. It's just knowing that top level is in there somewhere, and if she if it comes out, then New York gets to see it. And I, just, I suppose I'm just really excited by that prospect, having seen what it was like in the in the spring. Um. The evening match that we had tonight between Daniel Collins and Irina Sabalenka, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, for a set and a half, it was an absolute joy. They were going toe-to-toe. It was just full of ferocious shot-making. Collins was giving it all the big come-ons and in the face, and Sabalenka was standing up to it, and it it was just everything you want, really. Um, And then I just... I'm afraid I've got... a a little memory that i'm going to struggle to shake i think of sabalenka asking for a medical timeout just before collins was about to serve late on i think in the second set and and then she broke and look those two may be completely separate things um collins was very warm in her handshake to to sabalenka at the end of the match but i wish players wouldn't do that i just don't i just don't i think it's poor form i really do
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky one because I I don't necessarily think there should be a rule introduced uh, because it would be such a broad brush stroke. It would have to be such a broad brush brush strokes rule. You want someone to be able to receive treatment if the alternative is them not being able to continue with the match. If someone happened to roll their ankle really badly and needed it taping up at that point in the scoreline, you you very much want them to be able to get their ankle taped up rather than someone have to retire from the match. But in that situation that we had today with Sabalenka, that wasn't right. She just, I'm not saying she wasn't injured, but she just had a little rub. I could have done with that at about three o'clock today. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it, it's funny, at, at the time, during the injury timeout, Sabalenka didn't kick up a fuss about it at all in fact she was laughing the um the tournament supervisor came on uh, collins yeah tournament supervisor came over to to talk to her and couldn't make out what they were saying but she was laughing and joking and remarkably relaxed but maybe that was sort of trickery to sort of shake off how she was really feeling because it it did seem to affect her and it didn't feel right i noticed as we come to you now she hasn't given a Given a press time yet, so we're not going to get the sort of immediate uh, reactionary press conference. But I, I do wonder what those quotes, we'll, we'll keep
3: quotes uh, might look on it like for tomorrow's show.
2: I wonder whether there could be a, a rule that you can only have one before your serve. Like if you were to say, roll your ankle in the middle of a game and it was your opponent serving, you just give up a couple of points so that it's then your serve. That feels to me like it could be a compromise. It would yeah. maybe, well, it would stop that. You know, Sabalenka wouldn't have been able to have the timeout at that point. Um, it was, it was a really good match up until that point. It was giving. It was fero- It was ferocious hitting. Um, and people have been people have been on at me about the Collins backhand. And all I'm going to say is monitoring the situation closely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good backhand. It really, really is. Keeping an eye on it.
1: The, um, the Collins serve is not on any known list. No. I 38% mean... in today. She, she out-double-faulted Sabalenka on a bad
3: serving day. I mean, that's really why she's ended up losing this match, mm. isn't
2: it? Yeah, low percentage first serve, a lot of double faults. Yeah, really,
3: really problematic, actually. It must but... frustrate you so much because that's a shot totally under your control. Mm.
1: And it's weird because usually, sort of, the whole game is built around a serve. It's quite unusual to have that sort of isolated area of total lapse in your game, and everything else looking pretty secure and, and confident. Her, her her baseline game looked right on it tonight. You know, it didn't seem to be affecting the rest of her game, which is very strange. But you don't win many matches with thirty eight percent first serves. In you, it doesn't no. does not matter who you are.
2: And we have to mention the incredible Arena Sabalenka stat. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> they flashed it up on ESPN after she'd lost the first set, saying that she was 5-0 and win-loss record in slams this year after losing the first set. <laughs> She's now 6-0. and Caroline Wozniacki
3: said, I would just start losing sets deliberately. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, has there ever been a more quintessential Arena Sabalenka stat?
3: <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I and mean, and you know what i mean that that's going to get in the the head of an opponent at some point <laughs> isn't it it's going to get out there that it
1: also means all her grand slam losses this year obviously she didn't play wimbledon have been from a set up
3: yes
2: that's right uh, she lost to <laughs> another
3: great <laughs>
2: <laughs> she lost to Kenepi at the australian open from a set up and georgie at roland garros from a set up
3: very good i do like that um there was another match going on as we were departing uh, Flushing Meadows. Saw a bit of it on the monitor between Karolina Pliskova and Victoria Azarenka. It was just one of those matches that every game, every point seemed to be keenly contested. It was on the... I think it was on the Louis Armstrong court or was it on the grandstand? I think maybe Louis Armstrong.
2: Louis Armstrong, yeah, yeah, because unfortunately the grandstand court goes out of play for singles quite, quite early on. I, I mean, I love that court.
3: Yeah, but. shame. But I mean, I just... When we were on our way out, we heard this almighty roar, and we were trying to work out: now is that for Pliskova winning it in straight sets, or is that for Victoria Azarenka leveling? And it was the latter.
1: I think Azarenka is very popular here.
3: Yes. Yeah. Um, and and I mean it was electric. But that court, that and I think because of the rain as well, and because it's got a roof on it, people came in there to to get a bit of respite. It's it's. Um, wasn't ticketed in the upper section, so the people are absolutely jammed in, and created a most fantastic atmosphere. And fair play to Karen Pliskova, who's had a couple of pretty dodgy years, really. Apart from the Wimbledon final, after the, since then, it's been it's not been great. And and this is a really good win for her to beat Azarenka and to still be going. Quite surprised, I have to say.
1: Well, I had her in my predictions, oh, so do not share that surprise. <laughs> Did
3: you? You yeah. had. That's got to oh,
2: today, in your daily yeah. prediction. You didn't Sorry. know we were in
3: your quarterfinals then? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I feel better. <laughs> oh, no. Did anybody? I wonder if any of our, what is it, 60-odd people? Someone did.
2: Someone must have done.
3: Yeah, I hope, I hope so.
2: <laughs> Wasn't us.
3: Wasn't us. No. She's always a bit of a blind spot for us, isn't she? You know, there are certain players we never pick who end up getting there.
1: Oh, I've picked her. I've picked her when she's lost first round. That French Open when yep. she went one Rome, I definitely picked her to at least reach the final.
3: And she yeah. lost first round.
2: Mm. And there was a Wimbledon when she just won Eastbourne. Mm.
3: Oh dear, I've opened up some wounds yeah. here, haven't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, um, right then. Those are the matches that we've had so far today. Um, It's Blimey, we've had half an hour and it's two games all between Alcantara (laughs) and Cilic. Catherine hasn't taken her eyes off it. It's
1: all all been happening. And by all, I mean ball bouncing.
3: Okay, (laughs) yes. There is quite a lot of that, isn't there, still? (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: And and we've also got uh, Ilya Ivashka and Yannick Sinner in a fourth set at the moment. Sinner leading two sets to one, Ivashka up a break.
1: Right. Ilya Ivashka. David has been on a quite the Ilya Ivashka journey tonight. He's gone from not knowing who he is to trying to make a nickname catch on in the space of two hours. Stop trying to make Hurricane Ilya Ivashka happen, David.
3: <laughs> I Genuinely, when he came up on the screen, I... I who is that? I do... I, I honestly... I've been seeing his name for months and seeing him getting good results... And it occurred to me when he came on the screen today, I have never clapped eyes on him before. I got made to
2: do a test to close my eyes and describe him,
3: <laughs> and he passed. <laughs> he, he's got a heck of a shot on him, hasn't he? He really he's can good. hit the ball. Blimey, he's good. We won Winston
2: Salem last year. Yeah, which. Is why his ranking's down a bit at the moment, right. because he didn't, he didn't back it up He's about
3: year. 70-odd in the world, isn't mm. he? Yeah. Um, anyways, but he's putting on a good show against Yannick Sinner. really it? into Iliot Avashka. Yeah.
1: <gasps> he tried to sell him to me in the predictions in Australia.
3: That's right. I remember I was
1: looking for. I was scrolling through the order of play looking for someone, and Matt went, oh, Iliot Avashka's good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you, know, you never quite know whether that's, you know, kind of put one out there that you might mm. get who might be rubbish. I'm not saying that you're that sort of person, Matt, but, you know, it could happen. <laughs> I've been accused of that before. <laughs> I meant it. Right. Well, I mean, having seen him, and now I know who he, who he is when I see him, uh, I agree he's very good. So we'll find out. So We'll have a chat tomorrow about whether he's won or not. Um, right. Order of play for tomorrow. Starts on Ash at 12. Matteo Berrettini uh, against Kasparud. That is going to be a long match, I think. Um, I think Berrettini will end up winning, but I I think we could be looking at four and a half hours. Same. Same. And, of course, Kasparud is
1: playing for world number one, not just the US Open title. It'd be time to do away with the rankings never lie, won't it, as a a saying that ever
3: applies. Uh, I mean... I cannot even present that as a scenario with a straight face. Shall I just
1: whiz through the scenarios? Because they, they have been cut down somewhat by Nadal losing today. This is what we have. This is from Jose Morgado on Twitter. Nadal becomes number one if Ruud and Alcaraz fail to reach the final, both of them. So Nadal still can become number one. Alcaraz becomes number one if he wins the title... Or he loses in the final to someone that's not Casper Ruud. And Ruud becomes one, number one if he wins the title. Or he loses in the final to someone that's not Carlos Alcaraz. Mm.
2: I think it would be quite a fun troll if Caspar Ruud was world number one. He didn't even play the Australian Open, did he? Because he got injured. So he's got, he's, he's gonna, he might get there without
1: a whole slam worth
3: of points. But he's got to win one to, to do it right. He's got to actually win win the U.S. Open. No,
1: nope. if he reaches the final, and Alcaraz doesn't win it, he becomes number
3: one. I mean, to a Dominic dominant team. It's a joke.
1: Yeah, it is, and I'm I'm sorry. I'm so, uh, maybe we should you know only cross that bridge if it comes to it. I'm sorry to Casper who is a tremendous tennis player and a lovely bloke. Absolutely nobody would claim he's the best tennis player in the
3: world. Rafael Nadal holds two Grand Slam titles, and he's not the world number one, and Casper Ruud is. What is that about? I, t- I just... Sorry. Anyway, let's cross that bridge when it comes. I've had my say. Um, I mean, look, it's just the way the rankings are. They've removed the points from Wimbledon bottom line I'm just not taking any notice of the rankings at the moment really why it's, why it's like this i just do don't, don't, not don't interested
1: tell that to El
3: Race <laughs> <laughs> um, so after Berrettini against Rude we have Ons Ber against Isla Tomljanovic. that is a really fascinating match I think on paper to watch looking forward to that um, and then the night session is Caroline Garcia against Coco Golf. yes please mm. I mean, yes, please. that is a belter of a match on paper, isn't it? As well, um, because Garcia is arguably playing the best tournament, the best tennis in the tournament right now. But she's up against Goff, who feels like she's arrived and feels like she might even get better in the tournament. So, I could imagine Garcia spoiling the party. She's playing that well. But I I find it really hard to back against Goff just as a competitor. She just finds a way so often.
1: Yeah, same. That's going uh, to be no her. No notes. Everything you just said. I I narrowly back Goff. I think Garcia's tennis is is there, but I just feel a force behind Coco Goff at the moment. But Garcia will will take some beating. She's going to have to absolutely bring it. The the thing is though that I. I just back off to absolutely yeah. bring it now.
3: The only other thing with Garcia, I feel like her game is so finely tuned. She's like a Ferrari that I could imagine going wrong. You know, when it's on, it's just mm-hmm. racing off into the distance. Mm-hmm. But, but what if she, she could have a bad day? She could have a bad day and lose two and two.
2: She could, yeah. It's just been a very long time since she had a bad day. Uh, And I think Goff needs to serve well because the Garcia return is fearsome and the Goff second serve is probably still a weakness. And I I could see Garcia jumping on that if Goff doesn't have a good serving day. But yeah, bring it on. Mm.
3: And then after that, it's Nick Kyrgios against Karen Hachinov. Which was a, a very good match from the Australian Open a few years ago, I seem to recall. Um, but I would make Kyrgios a pretty heavy favourite in that. I mean, I think Kachanov's playing really well. It's a two, you know, good winning out against Corina Buster. But uh, you know, I can't. I just can't see it. I, I think Kyrgios wins that. You
1: can't see it. Can't see it. I mean, last. N- n- just to add my two penneth in on last night. That was the best Grand Slam performance I've ever seen from Nick Kyrgios. Um, And I back him to maybe not repeat it because he won't need to play that well, I don't think. But I back him to produce the level that he needs to, which I can't believe I'm saying, but I do.
3: Mm, Yeah. It'll be very interesting. So... That's it for another edition of uh, the Tennis Podcast. Don't forget our competition if you want to have a chance of winning those two incredible packages courtesy of AO Travel, our partners for the US Open, to get you two return economy flights to Melbourne during the Australian Open, the middle weekend, four days' worth of tickets, accommodation. Uh, and a premium experience go to our show notes and become a friend of the tennis podcast in order to enter if you're already a friend and you want to uh, to enter it well have a look out for you, for our newsletter and uh, the link will be in there or you can always email us friends at tennis dot net finally uh, US Open mascot is Phoebe uh, my mascot is Darwin right Darwin Catherine's is Carter Matt's is the dearly departed Gerald um Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our executive producers are Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner, two very top blokes. Uh, and I have to say we have shout-outs, but I also would like to add that I've had a couple of letters today saying, whilst they love having you on, Catherine, they almost love your written contributions <laughs> more for the shout-outs. <laughs> so... <laughs> what do we think? What do we think we're gonna to have today? Matt Roberts, take it away.
2: We've got Robert Briggs. Oh he says, like Simon but no relation. Ah. And Robert is in New York. All right, Robert. I was
1: I was going through, racing through in my mind there what Simon's brother, who was is formerly the voice of Siri, <laughs> is called, which is one of many weird Simon Briggs facts.
3: All of them great. <laughs> his
1: brother was formerly the voice of the sort of the original voice yeah. of Siri, um, but I don't think it is Robert. Anyway, no. he's, he's specified he's no relation. Uh, but thank you, Robert, for your support and your excellent name.
3: Indeed.
2: We've also got Kaori, who is in Tokyo. Uh, Kaori says, or as my American gods, kids call me kaori
3: okay hi kaori there's
1: a japanese figure skater called kaori sakamoto wow
3: who's a beautiful skater that's very cool Mm. have either of you been to tokyo no i'd love to go there one day one day the tennis podcast goes to tokyo
2: Kaori said, I started listening to the podcast in 2018 when I registered to volunteer at the Tokyo Olympics to prepare myself for all the tennis names I'd have to be aware of as part of the athlete service team. So proud. Your podcast has been beyond entertaining and also helped me pronounce everyone's name, hopefully correctly. Some people would disagree. (laughs) So thank you for all you do.
3: Oh, lovely stuff. That's marvellous. Thank you so much.
2: And our final shout-out today is for Kevin Toohey. Right, Kev. Who is in Scottsdale, Arizona.
3: Oh, there used to be a tournament in Scottsdale. Do you remember that? Nope. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's oh. 90s, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andy Roddick and Jam Michael Gamble and, uh, uh, and Andre Agassi always used to win it.
1: On the on the plane over here, you know when you're sort of coming up to landing and they stop the entertainment that you've been invested in for the last hour and a half and they run adverts for things that you've got no interest in? I saw there was an advert for holidays in Scottsdale, Arizona, and everyone looked like they were having a lovely time. Oh, then. Mm. It seemed a bit weird when you're on a flight about to land in a completely different destination. But <laughs> may, <laughs> maybe the thought is... You obviously like America. Why don't you try somewhere else in America? Yeah. It, it, it looked great.
3: Excellent. Thanks, Kevin. Top man. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that is us for day... What was it today? Day nine of the US Open? I've Eight. Eight. I've slightly lost count, as you can tell. Um, but we very much enjoyed the day. Well... Apart from Catherine and the humidity, but tomorrow, tomorrow's a new day, Catherine. So fingers crossed uh, that uh, New York gets its act together. Um, if you're not already receiving the newsletter, sign up to that. Uh, li- the link to is to that is in the show notes. You can become a friend, and not only the competition to enter for AR travel, you can also get access to 20 additional bonus editions of the tennis podcast that we've already produced they're already there waiting for you and we'll be producing more in the weeks and months to come tell your friends and family about the tennis podcast and let them know that we're doing dailies during all the grand slams and weekly throughout the year come and join us and uh, and we will be delighted to have some more listeners but for now we're going to go to bed (laughs) and we'll be back tomorrow